0: Pop hit is a dream come true, but a career, a career that spans more than 50 years, that's more than dreaming. John Oates achieved songwriter and rock and roll hall of fame status as a songwriter guitarist and one half of the 70s and 80s hit music machine Hall and Oates, with chart-topping songs like Rich Girl and Kiss on My List and Private Eyes and Maneater. It earned them a place among the best-selling music artists of all time. But longevity requires evolution. And as a solo artist for nearly twenty-five years, John Oates is still doing shows, releasing singles, and navigating a music industry that has changed dramatically from the one he started in so long ago. John Oates joins me now. Hello from New Zealand.
1: Well, Jesse, that was a um, very uh, wonderful and uh, comprehensive uh, assessment of where I'm at right now.
0: (laughs) It's been great fun going through your music ahead of this interview. And I think as the new year begins, we sort of wanted to talk to you as someone who inspires us with perseverance and an ability to adapt and change to the changing world. You've been on stage singing and playing music since you were four years old. So where does all that perseverance come from?
1: Oh, I don't know. Should I start with my stage mother way back uh, when I was a child? uh, (laughs) She, um, you know, she was very supportive. I I took vocal lessons and guitar lessons, you know, at a very early age at six years old. And um, I was singing, as you said, I have a recording of me singing at four years old. Already, uh, you know. So yeah, it was just one of those things but I just didn't. It was came to me naturally. I never questioned it, um, and I was always I always had the reinforcement and the support of uh, my family and a lot of other people, obviously over the years. So uh, I, I always like to make a joke. You know, um, they never booed hard enough for me to stop. <laughs> so uh...
0: you worked hard though. Your 2017 memoirs called Change of Seasons, um, and you wrote. We worked like dogs, we drove tens of thousands of miles, and we never gave up in the face of failure. And I suppose that, that sort of grunt work might have put you in quite good stead for the dramatic changes that would happen in the music industry, and I suppose in your personal life as well
1: well you know it was a different it was a different mindset it was a different way of of uh the music business was totally different and it required that you paid your dues you know in many many forms you know whether that be you know mastering your instrument or your craft um working hard uh developing a live audience um and just and honestly never giving up so it was really a different it was a different time than, than obviously than now. Uh, and it required a different, uh, you know, kind of uh, approach. So um, I'm I'm really I'm ha- very happy, actually, that I came up during a period of time that that, uh, you know, really required you to be a a, a real musician in terms of uh, you had to be able to uh, deliver on on many levels, the writing, the performing on stage, you know, the here again, the mastering of your of your of your instrument. So um, it's not, you know, obviously there's so many differences between then and now. And uh, so I'm really proud of being, you know, I'm proud of being old school, you know, when it when it really comes down to that.
0: I know you're more of a motorsport fan, but our national game is rugby. We we call it a game of two halves. (laughs) Is that a nice way of thinking about your life and career, a game of two halves? You went through a, a pretty big change in your life in the late 80s.
1: I uh, I think uh, I think that's a, a good assessment as well um you know there were um the late 80s were you know Daryl and I had achieved so much um, we worked hard during the 70s. And to me, the 70s were the most exciting time. And that's the time I remember mm. uh, most fondly because everything was new. Everything, every city was new. Every gig was new. Huh. The people you met, the challenges were new. In the 80s, you know, uh, even though we were super successful commercially, it was like a whirlwind nonstop uh, <laughs> you know, roller coaster ride. That I couldn't really appreciate until afterwards. Um, And then by the late 80s, quite frankly, I was burned out on it. Mm -hmm. I I really needed to to do something different. Obviously, I think you've read my book, so you you know what happened. Um, And I had to really reassess where I was at in my life, what I wanted to do, how I wanted to go forward, and what would enable me to go forward. So that was, I had to make some very, very, um, you know, very important decisions then.
0: I know you're a history buff when it comes to your own career. Are you nostalgic about the past or or do you tend to look forward more than back?
1: Oh, certainly look forward more than back. You know, I and, and, you know, you you alluded to the fact that I'm a motorsports fan and that's true. So I like to use the analogy of, um, you know, you get in a car um, and and the windscreen is very large. The rearview mirror is really small. (laughs) You
0: know, uh, that's great.
1: I think there's a reason for that. They want you to look forward. They want you to be looking ahead. Uh, And that's how I feel about my life.
0: Um, It might interest listeners who who haven't heard um, some of your music recently. And you've been streaming singles only since 2022, I think. But your sounds more Americana, blues, going back to your 70s roots and, and some of the stuff that you really grew up with. So two That's things right. going on right there That's you're right. you're embracing technology but ironically you're I think rediscovering and 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 also embracing the you know the music that um that you grew up with Mm-hmm.
1: That's true. I mean, you you know, all musicians always, you know, lean on their earliest influences. There's no doubt about it. It's a common, very common. And for me, um, I felt like, you know, the music I made with Daryl, uh, that was that was a music of collaboration between the two of us where, you know, it was a it was a kind of a shared creative, uh, you know, approach. Whereas now I, what, what happened was I moved to Nashville in the late 90s, early 2000s. And I, I really um, began embraced by the Americana community, and what it did was it it kind of reawakened me to, as you said, to the music that I grew up with, the early blues, the roots music of America, um, and and what but I, what I realized was I didn't just want to try to to just kind of you know regurgitate that. I wanted to use it as a jumping off point and create my own sound uh and that took uh, took a long time to do and I, I think i found a sweet spot now where i where i'm using the the, the early influences to create something new got the tip pull shit up pretty when it rolls back down is over with it over with it over with it over with, with it hey there brother want to land in hand looks like i'm don't want to beg, cause it kills my pride. I'm praying I get out of here alive. I've my life gone from bad to good. Yeah, I made some mistakes I've been misunderstood. Been up and down, trying to turn it around. Just to get back on solid ground. And keep on pushing.
0: Well, that's one of the recent songs, Pushing a Rock. Uh, yeah. That's got an interesting backstory. Can you share a bit of it for us?
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's one of the, you know, people always ask, you know, would you would you like to re-record some of your songs? Do you, you know, you think you know, made perhaps the song didn't come out the way you would like. Yeah. And I I almost universally say no. Um, but on this particular song, um, this was a song I wrote with uh, Nathan Paul Chapman, who who was involved with Taylor Swift in, in, when she was very young, when she first came to Nashville, doing her early demos and eventually her, her first recording contract. And he, re, he uh, produced uh, and co-wrote a number of songs in the early days with her. Well, she had moved on and um, I was, you know, he and I were good friends and I reached out to him. I wanted to see how he was doing. And he was I think he was at a crossroads in his career, you know, after having, you know, been involved with Taylor so, you know, so tightly. And so I um, I said, man, let's, let's write a song about struggle, about overcoming something, about finding a new path. And um, that was, so that's what we came up with. Uh, we did it. And, you know, I'll take full responsibility for, honestly, not making a very good record out of it in 2014. But I thought the lyrics were really powerful. And I thought they were very universal and timeless. Mm-hmm. And so during the pandemic, when I was sitting at home, I was you know, going back into my archives, finding, you know, old song ideas. And I thought about that song and I said, you know, this song seems just as important and just as, as timely right now during this pandemic that than it did, in fact, even more so than it did in 2014. So I, I, but I wanted to re- revisit it. So I, I called him up and I said, hey, man, would you mind if I take another stab at this and maybe try to change the music a bit? And, uh, and he said, yeah, man, have at it. And I did. And it's, uh, you know, after I, I rewrote it, he said, man, that's the way it, I wish it would always have sounded. I said, well, it's never too late. Let's put it out now.
0: <laughs> uh, so
1: we put, so it's basically a, a second generation version of that song.
0: Great collaboration. And, and you've always been a great collaborator. Um, Kiwis might not know that, um, you were, um, the songwriter on electric blue by ice house. Yes, love yes, you. And, and a backing yes. vocalist. Um, Is Nashville how we imagine it? Is it is it a a town of collaboration and cross pollination and and connection?
1: Absolutely, it's it is it's you know the the term music city is is couldn't be more accurate. Um, If people only realized the amount of music that comes out of Nashville that is not country music, people would be shocked. There is so much pop music coming out. There is. There's, I mean, you know, Metallica lives here. What, well, really? You know, it just, it, yes, it's crazy. I mean, I go to the coffee shops and I run into the like guys from hard rock bands. And yeah. it's it's just unbelievable. Uh, you know, so um, it, it, it's really a great place to collaborate. And there's a lot of really interesting people who have come from all over the world now to make Nashville their home. And so they've, so the city's become much more sophisticated in, in terms of just like everyday life, culture, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but the, the cross-pollination of musical styles is incredible. Uh, so, yeah, it's a very exciting place
0: to be. I'm talking to John Oates. And, and speaking of collaborations, your most famous one with Daryl Hall, um, you must hear your songs all the time. It's pretty unavoidable in this world. And when you hear one, do you think, damn, that's pretty good? <laughs> yes, I do.
1: <laughs> I do. I'm I listen, I am I am so uh I'm so appreciative and grateful and really respectful for the music that we made together it is you know it's timeless there's so, well not all of it but a lot of it is is really stood the test of time and as a songwriter that is your ultimate goal if you can write a song that stands the test of time becomes a you know a classic you know that word is a little overused but nevertheless um, that is really that's the the be-all and end-all of, of the creative process as a songwriter so the fact that our some of our songs have have achieved that status is just quite frankly it's amazing and um i'm really uh, really happy and respectful that i have had the opportunity to to work with daryl and create this body of work that really will stand the test of time
0: Find the inspiration for that song, "Man Eater."
1: (laughs) Oh, (laughs) well, it had to do with a a gal who. um, It was a late night um, meeting at a restaurant in Greenwich Village in the '80s, and she was, you know, incredibly uh, attractive, but she had the mouth of a of a filthy mouth of a sailor, (laughs) and um, I. I I found the the juxtaposition between her great beauty and her and her foul vocabulary very interesting. <laughs> interesting is not really, the very exact right word I would use, but um, but anyway, and I just thought as I walked home, seriously, I walked home in the middle of the night. I just thought to myself, "Wow, man, she would chew you up and spit you out." Oh, well, wow. wait a minute, and it popped into my head, and I thought, "Man eater," I said, "Boom," and it just hit me. And uh, I had just come back from Jamaica, so. You know, I was trying to write a reggae song, and I wrote it initially as a reggae song, and then Daryl and I got together. And and honestly, the full credit to Daryl, because he said, you know, it just doesn't sound like a song that belongs on a Hall & Oates album, but why don't we try to revisit it or change it? And, uh, you know, he, w- he was right. Uh, and so the song that you hear, of course, the big hit, is is what it is. Um, but I just recently went back to Jamaica. In fact, it was about a year and a half ago, and I re-recorded the song uh in a, with uh, some of the legends of reggae. What? The guys who play with what? Yeah, the guys who play with Bob Marley and Toots and Mateals and all that. So yeah, it's out there, it's streaming. If you want to hear it, it's a um I have a reggae version of Maneater that's out on it's available for uh for you to um for your listening pleasure on your personal listening device.
0: And that's maybe not quite as strange as people might imagine, because I, I, I guess the police and, and Sting were around doing that kind of syncopated thing in, in the early 80s.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, the police, they, they built their their early days uh, based on a reggae feel. Um, I've always loved reggae. I've been visiting Jamaica since the 70s. I have some very good friends uh, there. and. Uh, It was just one of those things. So I I went to Kingston, it was a year and a half ago, and spent a few days down there and cut that in in Kingston. I wanted to be, I said, if I'm going to do a reggae version of that classic song, it needs to be as authentic as possible. And so I did uh, kind of my version of that.
0: I've got to say, the thing, one of the things you notice the most uh, watching the YouTube clips of those old songs is, is your mustache, John. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I've still got I've still got one a little bit less uh, less uh, less bushy and a, a little bit more grey. I will say
0: <laughs> it became famous again a couple of years ago. I think you uh, you teamed up with the Movember cause.
1: Yeah, uh, Movember asked me to be uh, to be their international spokesperson uh, last year. And my first reaction was what took you so long? So, um, (laughs) it's a beauty (laughs) uh, beauty of a mustache. Yeah. I went to, I went to, went to England, uh, to London where their headquarters are. And we shot a bunch of really cool, funny videos and, uh, got a chance to really do, you know, to really just spread the word on men's health, which is an important, you know, subject and an important topic that a lot of men just don't pay enough attention to. And, uh, I just thought, you know, if I can be a, you know, small part to uh, to help uh, spread the word on on such an important issue. Yeah,
0: man, you haven't stopped. Um, I was thinking about the masked singer as well. You did that. Was that a positive experience?
1: <laughs> I, I don't know whether positive is the right word. Um, it, it was weird. Um, people have no idea how hard it is to sing in one of those crazy costumes.
0: <laughs> um,
1: and the crazy, the, the the weirdest part was that I couldn't see yeah. out of that costume at all. The eyes were up uh, over top of my my forehead, um, so all I could see was up. And they wanted me to do, you know, I had to do like a certain amount of simple choreography mm. because they had dancers and they had strobe lights and confetti <laughs> falling out of the ceiling. and So... While I was singing, and people don't realize, I had to count my steps. In other words, <laughs> I had to walk ten, ten steps forward, then turn to my right, walk three steps to my right, turn to my left, walk eight steps to my left. Because it was all coordinated with dancers yeah. and things on that stage, I swear I thought I was going to walk right off the stage. <laughs> and you know, I mean, it was very weird, very weird. <laughs> uh, but you know what? It, it, in my life, I've done so many, so many things that you know. Why not? I it was it was an opportunity to do something very different and crazy and weird, and it it was actually a lot of fun. It'd
0: be great to have you back to New Zealand. I think you did uh, you did Logan Campbell Centre in nineteen eighty, and then probably the last time you were in New Zealand was uh, Hall and Oates concert at the Church Road Winery, twenty eleven, in yeah. uh, in Napier with Ice yeah. House and Goodshirt. Um, yeah, there must yep, be something nice yep. about that Eleven. this time wow. of life, because I think you basically choose your venues now, right? You you don't do stadiums or or possibly even vineyards. You've got favorite places that you like to perform.
1: Yeah, I mean, I go out now, uh, and I, I have a new show that I'm doing. It's an acoustic. I call it an evening of stories and songs. And right. uh, I go out with a, with a percussionist and a cello player, and uh, we are totally acoustic. We don't have any equipment. We have no production, we have no roadies, we have nothing, and it is freeing. Um, I, I just show up on the acoustic guitar and tell stories, play songs, I play, uh, I play, you know, everything from, obviously, I play a few Hall & hits, but I really focus on songs that kind of made me who I, I am today as a musician as you as we spoke about earlier the some of the earlier influences I do some standards I do blues uh, all sorts of things and um, it's really it's wonderful to be able to be in a small intimate acoustic venue that sounds really good so um, I'm just waiting for an invite from New Zealand <laughs> I'm,
0: I'm ready to go all right well we have plenty of uh, music promoters and, and touring uh, organizations who listen so challenge set down uh, Here's a little little, um, sample of a single you released last month called Smile On.
1: Baby, get your smile
0: All the proceeds from that song go to teen cancer, John. What What makes the song unique?
1: Well, I had that song um, sitting around for quite a while and I didn't know what to do with it. Uh, and interestingly, I recorded that song, again, during the pandemic, totally... Because I, I wasn't going to recording studios and, and collaborating with anyone during that period of time. So I did it completely at home on, on uh, my computer, on GarageBand. And, um... I you know I I thought of it as a demo. I thought, well, this is a cool demo. You know, one of these days I'll re-record it with with a, a real band and a real studio. And uh, m- uh, my publicist heard it and said, "This is great. Why don't you release it?" And I was like, well, "I never really thought about it." And then I was in. I was asked to be an ambassador for Teen Cancer uh, for Roger Daltrey's cha- uh, charity. Yeah. And they asked me. They said, "Would you like to do a song?" And I said, "Well, you know what? I've got a song that just might." It's got the right vibe. It was very positive. It's just about, you know, it's an uplifting uh, idea or a theme. And um, I, I sent it to them and they said, oh, we love this. Let's do it. So I did a video uh, for it and uh, we put it out. And all the proceeds go to Teen Cancer America, which is nice.
0: Yeah. And I think it even features some clips from cancer fighters and survivors too.
1: It does. Yeah, we had some of the, some of the kids and actually some of the musicians who were involved with teen cancer. And there's a lot of them. Um, which is great because it's a really uh, hands-on organization. And so, we, yeah, we reached out to them and said, we could you know, we, we want a few of you guys to be in the video, and uh, they, they jumped on board, and it was, it was
0: wonderful. And, you know, philanthropy has been something you've been involved in for your whole career. You were part of Live Aid and, and We Are The World. You think, you know, could that, We Are The World, could that ever happen again, do you think? well
1: maybe um i uh, but it, it could never happen the way that happened because it was such a unique uh, situation it back in those days you didn't have this um multi you know multiple you know award shows and you know every week there's an award show of some sort you know <laughs> uh back in those days it was either the grammys or the american music awards so all anyone who was anybody in the world of pop music was going to be attending those events. So uh, Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie were very clever in that they, they knew everyone was going to be at the American Music Awards. So they invited everyone to come to the recording studio right after the award show because everyone was in Los Angeles, and um, and that and so it really made it you know made it happen. Uh, I don't know if you could ever pull you know all these people from all over the world in one place again. I uh, like that.
0: Yeah. And you're a pop star, of course, at this stage, but you got Ray Charles in front of you and Bob Dylan behind you. Yeah. You must say, yes. Hey, this is the pinnacle.
1: Yes. <laughs> it, it was, uh, you know, I really try to, you know, I I try not to miss these, these very unique opportunities in my life. I, I'm very, you know, kind of, I try to be aware of what's happening at the moment, you know, because, uh, you know, yesterday's gone, tomorrow hasn't happened yet. So all you have is right now. And, uh, you know, th- that right now at that moment was so unique. You know, two two of my heroes, uh, you know, people that I really, really look up to were, I was standing right next to them and I had never met either of them. And I just thought this uh, this is really a special moment that I can't take for, you know, can't take for granted. I have to try to absorb that, that moment and really, uh, you know, live in it.
0: Yeah, it might technically be work, but you can still take a moment and enjoy it. Like I've just had twenty minutes speaking to John Oates. What a what a thrill! <laughs> thank you. What a great it's been way. A great
1: conversation. Yeah, and I you too.
0: It. You thank you so much. Um, all the best, and we would love to have you back. So we'll put the word out, and um, yeah, the new the show, the twenty twenty four show, sounds sounds fantastic. So um, we hope you make it back to New Zealand.
1: Well, thank you very much, and it was a pleasure talking to you, and uh, say hi to all my Kiwi friends, and uh, we'll uh, we'll hopefully see you one day. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-Free Listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash newsadfree.